Well, it is. Hey, good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7.04 with 59 seconds to go right along with it on this Monday night. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, the best hour of sports talk you'll hear all week on 89.7 FM and wvfs.fsu.edu. WVFS, the voice of Florida State. And no, from the 850-644-1837, you can give us a call or drop us a line at 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 v89 sports with your thoughts a reminder as well that the opinions expressed on tomahawk talk may not reflect that of wvfs tallahassee huge show tonight trying to follow up last week's gem special thanks once again to mr jeff colhane and coach brian penske for being guests on last week's show it was a good one for sure check it out if you haven't already at apple podcast spotify wherever you listen and uh as always if you're not listening live you can catch the replays Right there, we have some FSU football tonight as it is game week, as I said. And coming up a little after 7.30, Mr. Fred Siegel of Freezing Cold Takes. So be sure to stick around for that. That's going to be uh, a dandy of an interview. Uh, But without further ado, reclaiming his rightful place in the seat to my left, Jackson Bakich, our co-host. Jackson, so good to see you. How the heck have you been? Well, it's great to see you too, first of all. Uh, You know, I miss you. I miss everybody here in the studio. Um... And I've been great. I've been great, honestly. I uh, couldn't be better. And if I was any better, I think I'd be dead. I thought I would never hear those words again. You have no idea how good it is to, to hear that. I feel like everything has been uh, restored in our universe. But uh, we did a kind of a, we did, we called it the Meet the Crew show at the end of April. If anyone hasn't checked that out, or maybe it's been a while, you forgot the, the four people that are on the show tonight, as I'll introduce. Um, kind of went through everything, but I, I say since it's been a while, we do it again Jackson, you are uh, a writer for the Floridian. You're involved in some stuff, so um, some great work over there. Um, Myself as well, I guess I'll introduce myself. If you're not familiar with me, obviously I host the show every Monday night, and and that's been a great pleasure to do that over the course of the summer now headed into this fall semester with a a great football season up ahead. But I'm also now, I guess, kind of officially, unofficially, the the main play-by-play broadcaster of uh, the TCC Eagles, so that'll be uh, a fun experience. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Uh, I'm no Arya Masudi, former uh, host of this show, who I guess just today or the other day was announced he signed a deal to be a, a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN and the ACC Network. So congratulations for Arya Masudi. We might have to try and see if he can come on next week so we can talk about that because uh, that is a, a great honor for him. Um, but uh, w- without an, uh, anything else, two panels to my right, some of V89's best and brightest. Kylie, we'll start with you. We heard from you last week via the telephone, uh, but great to have you here in studio tonight. Absolutely. It's great to be back. You know, I'm happy that I'm all moved in because I think we can all agree that if there's nothing that we hate more, it is the move-in process of college. I it, mean, can, it's I, the can worst. I be joined there in that opinion? I think we all would wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, the traffic has been a nightmare. Everything about this place this time of year is not a great <laughs> place to be other than the football, uh, which is coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, and rounding it out, we have Amanda. She will be in charge of getting our sports anchors back on the air during the week very soon. And she also secured our guest this week. Great to have you in. It's great to be back. Great to be back in Tallahassee. I agree with you, Kylie. Move-in was a lot for me, but I'm glad to be settled in. Had a good first day of class, and uh, I'm excited for the game this weekend. I'm excited to get back into the swing of things and lots of sports to cover. So we've got an exciting lineup. 
No question about that. I do feel whether, you know, the in the show tonight, back in school, everything is back as it should be, and it, and it feels really good. Uh, also, last but not least, producer Jack Oliara peeking in from behind the glass. We'll hear from him at the, uh, the halfway mark. He'll do seminal segment talking about Florida State as they go undefeated in their first week uh, in the Brian Penske regime, and also uh, some volleyball coming up next week as well. Uh, but, yeah, you guys kind of alluded to it. First day of the semester here at FSU, did everyone make all their classes? Because I know they make a big deal of that these days. I was actually late to my first one. I, I, I uh, was trying to take some public transportation to the uh, to the bus stop, um, but the bus saw me and just went right past me, and he didn't stop. So uh, I had to go back to my apartment. Thankfully, it was only about a three-minute walk. Uh, try to find a spot in traditions because you know it would have been even longer to Good park anywhere that. else because my uh, my first class was in the Montgomery building uh, right there next to Landis Landis Green um, I was not successful the good news was I dropped that class anyway so <laughs> we're all good we're all good <laughs> I did that as well I dropped one of my classes like 10 minutes before I went in because I realized I actually didn't need it for anything so that was kind of a relief also one of my professors just didn't show up you know, they make a big deal. Hey, the students come. You know, if you don't show up the first day, you're going to get dropped. Sat there for 50 minutes. The guy never came in. So uh, it's a mixed bag here in Tallahassee. You never uh, quite know what you're going to get. But that that's about it for the introductions. Again, uh, you can call us at 850-644-1837 at V89 Sports if you want to tweet the show as well uh, with any thoughts you have. Florida State football kicking off this weekend, Saturday. August 27th, 5 p.m. against the Duquesne Dukes. We've been talking about it for weeks, for months, and it is finally here just uh, a few days Away. Well, I don't want to delay any further. William Jackson, Kylie, Amanda talking some FSU football to lead off, and we'll start uh, with the wrapping of fall camp. Now, the last week of fall camp, it was not nearly exciting as as the previous week, which I went on. That was uh, about you know Mike Norvell saying that it was the identity week, and they went to Jacksonville, and it was all full contact, full pads. That was really the last week like that. I think with the week zero game, because the the college football weekend doesn't or the season doesn't really start until the following week, which I believe is September 4th or so. So we play a week before everyone else. So you have to kind of end fall camp a week earlier than everyone else. So last week was kind of the um, not not your traditional final week of fall camp. They had to do it a little bit differently. They went helmets only for a couple of days, not a ton of contact, a lot of special teams work. Uh, things of that nature Um, and uh, he talked about kind of prepping how they would prepare for a game week because obviously as I said 20 August 27th that that's a really quick start time but other than that uh, there was some news that was not so great freshman running back CJ Campbell who all the coaches were really high on he was out uh, or is announced out for the year with an injury he was not I think going to get a lot of play time wasn't going to get a lot of touches but um, he along with Rodney Hood a couple of incoming uh, guys that were going to develop well in that running back room and his progress will be set back Um, in saying that they made a change in the running back room to get a guy in there Joshua Burrell who had previously only played wide receiver moves to running back he got a new number I think changed from like 81 to now he's wearing number 12 Uh, they they asked Mike Norvell about it after after practice in his first day with the running backs and he compared Joshua Burrell to Antonio Gibson a player that had played under Mike Norvell at the University of Memphis a guy that came in as a wide receiver then switched to running back Uh, he was a third round pick for the Washington Commanders was a thousand yard rusher last year so that's certainly a high praise for Burrell Norvell also called him one of if not the smartest player on the team so you think maybe he could pick up that position pretty well they say he's great with the ball in his hands 
Um, he's taken some reps at wide receiver, too. He's going to kind of straddle between both because the running back room doesn't really need it right now at the moment. He appeared in two games last year, so he was able to redshirt, and I think he was the number four player in South Carolina coming out of college. So, guys, this is a player that um, is highly touted. It seems like he's got a lot of valuable skills. Uh, was not, I don't think, going to get a ton of playing time at wide receiver, but uh, you know, you never know when your opportunity is going to come, and he's going to be taking some, some reps at running back this year. And absolutely. I mean, when we saw him during the winter workouts uh, last season, last year, we saw him squatting upwards uh, to about 515 pounds. I mean, this, this kid, uh, when he was should have been a senior in high school as a wide receiver, was squatting an ungodly amount of LBS. So uh, just, you know, he's a freak athlete. And it doesn't surprise me that they, they want to put him, you know, at that tailback position. Yeah, I'll, I'll turn to, to Kylie and Amanda, and if you guys have any thoughts on this, just chime in. I mean, both the, both these position groups, the, the, the running back and the wide receiver room, they're both pretty full. It's hard to get playing time either, but I guess if you can play both, that gives yourself a better chance of getting into the game. Absolutely. Uh, fun fact there, uh, just talking about uh, his intelligence as a player and athleticism, um, it doesn't stop there with his family. Uh, his brother actually goes to West Point and plays football there, so that's a pretty uh, elite program to be accepted into as well, so it's definitely in the genetics there, which is kind of an interesting fact to note. That is, Kylie. I actually did not know about that, so I mean, he is... He looks every bit of, of that, that that big football build, and he's incredibly fast, incredibly strong, as Jackson was talking about with uh, his, his weight numbers. I mean, that is uh, really insane, <clears throat> excuse me, what he's been able to do. So I do look forward to seeing Burrell. Um, I think it's also a good problem to have now where Florida State is at a, at a situation where they're having more of a surplus of talent. The last couple of years, I think they would be begging to have anyone like Burrell at either wide receiver or running back. So now in a situation where he might not even be playing a lot to start the year, I think it uh, speaks well of where your team is at. Kind of like a, a Debo Samuel kind of position there for, for Burrell, uh, going in between that the running back and the wide receiver position. And it's it's really honestly kind of interesting. Uh, we've seen, you know, kind of this happen more and more since Debo Samuel uh, really came onto the scene. Obviously he got a huge contract from the 49ers, uh, or is an, an extension, I guess, technically. Um but who knows? That that could be the uh, the future of college football. Yeah, starting the Kool Aid off early with uh, some Florida State <laughs> football tonight. We have some more later on in the show. Um, the quarterback room behind Jordan Travis. I, I won't. I don't even think it's really worth getting into. I'm sure all of you listening. I've heard uh, speaking of Kool Aid about Jordan Travis. You know, year three in this offense, he's better than he's ever been. There was an article that he one of his practices was the best of his FSU career. I don't know if I would go that far, but he's had a good camp. But the guys behind him, Tate Rodemaker, is going to be the number two to start out the year uh, per the depth chart and per, and per all the coaches. Uh, Norvell said he's been, quote, a different guy than he's been in the past. Um, it says his confidence is a lot up. I don't know that his ceiling is super high if he has to play. I don't think anyone is super confident that Travis is going to give you a full 12 games. So you're going to need probably some quarterback to come into play. And A.J. Duffy, the highly touted freshman, uh, coaches said he's still having those freshman moments. So, um, you know, not a Jameis Winston situation where he's coming in and blowing the doors off everyone. I think he's got the highest ceiling of anyone in this position room, but I don't think he's ready uh, to play just yet. You might see him get some reps on Saturday if things really go right, but I think uh, they're going to be a little cautious with him and, and his development and just kind of keep him uh, as a practice player for now. And, and really the final note, 
of uh, the last week of fall camp. There was some shakeups along the offensive line. Darius Washington now, uh, per the depth chart, is going to be the starting center come Saturday. Norvell said the offensive line is especially subject to change more than any other position group. But right now, he is the starting center. I think he started at right tackle last year. He was playing right guard to start camp. So he's played all three positions. And so he moves from right guard to center. Now you're going to need a new right guard. Both transfers, Dimitri Emmanuel from Charlotte and Jasden Turrentine. Uh, I believe, I think from Mississippi State, I could be wrong about that. Uh, Jazz, they call him, he has been, the coaches love him. Um, so it's, I don't know, It's on the depth chart it's listed as or. There's no starter. It's either Emmanuel or, or Jazz. So we'll we'll see about that on the right guard position. Um, but for Darius Washington now, he's played all three positions along the offensive line. He cited mental and physical gifts to his versatility that, you know, he knows the game well, but also he's got the physical attributes to do it. But, guys, this the offensive line, all we heard all offseason was this this position group had such tremendous depth, and now they're having injuries left and right. Caden Lyles, center, out for the year. Now Marie Smith is going to miss some time. Norvell is optimistic that he'll come back very soon. I would uh, tend to be a little more pessimistic on that. Uh, but do you guys have any concern about the offensive line not even having played a game and you know, a couple of guys already down? I mean, I think this Week 0 game is a good opportunity to kind of see where we lie with this offensive line because, you know, in the past couple of seasons, we have not had – FSU has not had a great line, which has impacted, you know, all sides of the field. And I think that this year if th- we can really – get that up to par with where it needs to be, then that's going to give Jordan Travis so many more opportunities so we can really see what he's capable of along with the depth of the running backs. And I just I think that this offensive line is the core of the offense, and once we start strengthening that, then you know who knows how well we can do. But I think we need to start there. I really do agree with that. Coming into the season, you're right. That that was the X factor. You know, if Travis throws the ball slightly better than he did last year, it doesn't matter if there's no one in front to protect him. A, a correction from Jack Oliaro, our producer. It was uh, South Carolina is uh, where Jaston Turntine transferred from. So um, they've been getting a, a ton of transfers from uh, South Carolina lately. Uh, so that that's about it, really, for fall camp. Um, but we do have uh, the, the depth chart if we want to go over it. If anything stands out to you guys, it looks like Treshawn Ward is going to be uh, the main running back. Lawrence Toffili, who did not have a great season last year, um, is going to be uh, starting as well. Now, the, the wide receiver uh, depth chart right now is, is a little bit surprising to me. Micah Pittman getting a start, highly touted transfer. I didn't think he had a tremendous camp, but they, they really like what he's going to be able to do. Uh, Deuce Spann. As a starter, transfer from Illinois, he was a quarterback for most of his college career. I, from what I've seen, I don't know that he's been able to transition to that position well. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains, but perhaps you, you get that out of the way now rather than later. Um, and then Malik McLean, Johnny Wilson. Johnny Wilson, I, I'm thinking, is going to have a, a huge year. But looking at this, there's there, there are older guys. I mean, Keyshawn Helton is not even listed on here. Um, there's a, there's a ton of names, a, a ton of uh, pieces to get the ball around. What do you guys uh, what are your thoughts, at least going into to week zero, about this wide receiver room? I, I think Florida State football has a good problem on their hands. Um, you know, in the past, they were moving guys like Ja'Kai Douglas from the from the RB room to the wide, rece- wide receiver position, excuse me, and now they're doing the opposite, like we're talking about with Josh Perrell, uh, going to the RB room. Um, I think this is a wide receiver. Like, you know, we have, you know, you said Pittman didn't have the best uh, camp, but he's still, I think, your 
your your wide receiver one. I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt about it. Uh, I mean, according that's what it seems like. Um, that's what the coaching staff thinks, at least. So with that in mind, you have a lot of guys. You have a good mixture of guys with natural, raw talent. You have a mixture of guys with a lot of experience. Coach Norvell, uh, really, when he took over, um, he was really emphasizing getting those younger guys some playing time because he knew that uh, this upcoming year, maybe the year after, is the time that they were really going to peak and really start winning games. Um, you know, who knows what we're going to talk about what exactly is going to unfold this season. But um, you can tell that, that Coach Norvell has put together this team in a way so that he's a great mixture of both experience and talent. Absolutely. I, I think you said Pittman is the undeniable number one. I think we may see that. I think he's going to play in the slot. He's a, a stronger guy, quick but not really fast. I think go over the middle and catch those shorter to intermediate routes, and then it'll be – uh, Malik McLean and uh, I think Johnny Wilson on the outside catching some of those those deeper balls. We'll have to see about that. Tight end Cameron McDonald. He did not practice much in the fall, but he's going to start at tight end. It's not probably the the thinnest uh, or maybe you know least likely to make a difference position group on the team. We told you about the offensive line. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, there's there's not much that has changed. Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper, uh, both fifth-year defensive linemen up the middle. Uh, Coach Odell Haggins was was really uh, all about those guys and their leadership and what they've been able to do. McClendon and, and Briggs on the outside on the defensive line. Uh, Deloach, Kalen Deloach, the linebacker, um, was kind of a reserve, had to come on the field because of some injuries. He's going to get the start outright, it looks like. I think he's been developing well. Tatum Bethune, the transfer from UCF, is going to start as well and then in the back end in the secondary Jamie Robin or Jamie Robinson at free safety he was uh, I think on the preseason watch for for All-American on the second team which uh, is a great honor and then uh, a couple of guys at the cornerback position Amari and Cooper as a true sophomore is going to start some great ball skills and some interceptions last year and a guy to keep your eyes on I've been saying Sam McCall the true freshman I think he's gotten the highest ceiling in the entire defensive back room but I think he's going to be getting some playing time early perhaps uh, more than was expected and nothing really notable on the special teams Ryan Fitzgerald is going to kick off uh, and do place kicking uh, it looks like Deuce Span is going to return kicks and Micah Pittman as well but that's all subject to change I know they filtered out the return game quite a bit uh, a season ago but really you know talk talk about fall camp it's over now now it's the regular season the Duquesne Dukes come into town on 5 p.m. ACC Network Saturday August 27th and uh, <laughs> Throughout the offseason, I talk to people about this game, and they go, who's Duquesne? Where, where are they from? What is this school? Bob, they never heard of them, Duquesne. Um, and, and so a little segment here, what the heck is Duquesne? They are a Catholic private research university in Pittsburgh, founded in 1878. They have just a little over 9,000 students, so um, about half the size of our student section in Doak Campbell Stadium. Uh, their mascot is named, the, the Dukes, uh, is named after Marquis Duquesne, French governor of Canada, who brought Catholic observances to Pittsburgh. So they've got uh, a deep history. Last year we started with Notre Dame, and this, this year we're going to start with Duquesne, so a little parallel there uh, if you want to look at it that way. They play in the Northeast Conference of the FCS, which is the Division I level right below the FBS. They've been there since 1993 up until now. Uh, the only teams out of the Northeast, maybe you'd know, Norfolk State. Uh, they, they were good at basketball last year. Delaware State, Howard University. So they're about as nobody as nobody gets. And, I, of course, when I say that, 
we lost to an FCS team a season ago in Jacksonville State. I think this is a, a different circumstance. Uh, not all FCS teams are created equal, and I, I don't consider Duquesne to be um, at that level. Their stadium, Arthur Rooney Field, which I, I pray in my heart is a, some sort of reference to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Art Rooney. Uh, their stadium has 2,200 seats, so basically – in every high school in Texas has a bigger stadium than uh, the Duquesne Dukes. 2021, they went 7-3, and three and they beat FBS Ohio. That was their, I think, first FBS win in, in over a decade. So they played spoiler as of recently, but Ohio is, is not uh, Florida State, at least where we hope the team is right now. Um, a couple of other notes about this game. This is the earliest game ever in Doak Campbell Stadium, August 27th, third earliest game in school history. They played BYU in Jacksonville, August 22nd, in the year 2000. They played Iowa State in Kansas City, August 24th of 2002. That was the earliest game they ever played. A note about those teams, in 2000 and 2002, the only FSU teams that have ever played in Week 0, both won the ACC championship and one played in the national championship game. That was that uh, in 2000, that 13-2 loss uh, to Oklahoma. Shout-out to Jeff Bowden there. Uh, but some some score predictions for this game. I'm I think I'm more optimistic, more positive than most. I'm going to go 51 to 14. I think FSU runs away with it early. I don't think Jordan Travis plays past the second quarter. You want to get guys experience, but you don't want to give away too much to LSU. And I think we get a good look at, at the the backups and some depth uh, as uh, the, the game goes on. What do you guys think? I'm going 35 to seven in flavor flavor in favor of the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, like you said, because for those reasons, I think uh, their foot goes off the gas pretty early. Um, I think they get up by maybe f- three or four touchdowns and then put in the second teamers, um, like you said, so that LSU uh, does not get a good look. And and it, what's great for the Knolls is they, they have a they have a bye week. Uh, no, pardon me, they don't. I, I, I'm sorry, it's after the LSU game. So yeah. anyway, they will have time. Um, they will have that extra game experience under their belt. I would agree with that. Kylie, Amanda, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go 28-7 in favor of the Knolls. Um, I I really want it to be a blowout of a game, um, but just noticing the different things that we're seeing with our offensive line and then also just like uh, kind of fear going into our quarterback situation, I definitely want to trust Jordan Travis that he's going to get the job done. I do worry sometimes about how long the ball is sort of hung on to, especially if we're having issues with a thinner offensive line there. Um, but really, I, I, from last week, I'm, I'm pretty enamored with everything that we've seen Johnny Wilson do. So I just, I just hope that we can just watch him go off this week. I think we will. Uh, J- uh, Jackson, I have to ask, what flavor would a Florida State Seminole be? You know, I feel like it would be like a, a hot Cheeto. <laughs> hot chip. I feel like, you know, uh, the garnet color kind of matches, plus Tallahassee uh, just kind of resembles a hot Cheeto somehow. I, I actually have a question about that. Whenever you would eat M&M's as a kid, would you ever just, like, refuse to leave the orange and the blue ones yes. t- together in your hand and, would, yes. like, only eat the red and yellow ones? Because I, yeah. I, I would do that. I remember going to Olive Garden as a kid, <laughs> and they gave us – I mean, they'd give you, like, um, crayons for, for the kids' menus. And uh, if they were orange and blue together, I would immediately separate them. Yeah. I couldn't have it. Can't have it. Yeah. Same with green and orange. I did that too. Yeah. 
So Amanda, you got a score prediction for this game? I know you're trying to dodge me, but I I'm no, I was one. I'm going 35-7 favor of the Knolls. We have seen I hope this trend does not continue, but we have seen Florida State play down to opponents that may not be as talented as or they think so. Um so I hope that does not continue. I'm uh, hoping for an FSU win. So I'm you know, Mike Norvell has been pushing focus on the team, not focus on who the opponent is, focus on the Seminoles and not who's on the other side of the field. So I'm hoping that that kind of impacts the game and the outcome as well. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Coach Norvell has talked a ton about um, that, you, you know, all the all the attention is on LSU, but you got to beat the team in front of you, but at the same time, you know, you know, I know they don't want to show too much, but we'll see. I, I think it'll be, at least it should be, uh, a thorough beatdown of the Duquesne Dukes on Saturday. M- myself and Jack will be there uh, on Saturday in the press box covering the game. We'll have articles and, and uh, Twitter at, at uh, V89Sports, uh, live tweeting the game uh, and everything like that. Um, so, so be sure on the lookout for that. I know I promised a WordPress article. I promise you I'm, I'm coming soon is is the fall camp recap article uh, and jack sent me a note he wants uh, the world to know that his score prediction for saturday is by a score of 38 to 3 speaking of jack we're going to throw it to him for seminal segment and then after that we have mr fred siegel of freezing cold take so you're not going to want to miss it don't go away good evening everyone i am jack Oliaro, and it is just one of the most wonderful times of the year the traffic, the full parking garages, the thousands of, conf- of confused young adults wandering throughout campus. And this could only mean one thing, and that is school is back, and back is seminal segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics, except football. We begin in Columbia, South Carolina, where the reigning national champ Florida State Seminole soccer team had their season opener against the 12th-ranked South Carolina Gamecocks on Thursday. Florida State looks quite different since their last kick. Uh, after 17 seasons and three national championships, Mark Krikorian stepped down as the head coach of the Knolls, and in stepping in is Brian Penske, head coach of Maryland and Tennessee. In his last two seasons at Tennessee, he led the Lady Volunteers to two SEC Divisional regular season titles and won the SEC Championship Tournament last season. Ten seasons in the SEC, and he'll open up his FSU career with a familiar foe. But Penske and the Seminoles drew their first match of the season with a 0-0 scoreline. Florida State dominated on the pitch, holding 71% of possession, hitting uh, 18 shots with 6 on goal, but just couldn't get past the Gamecocks keeper. keeper rather. A little bit of a lack of creativity held the Knolls from taking the win, but otherwise a solid performance in a top-15 matchup. They'd attempt to make right of the tie with a short trip from Columbia to Athens, Georgia, to meet the Bulldogs this past Sunday. Uh, 90 minutes later, and a much better result with a 3-1 victory. The attacking third had my eye as they just couldn't piece it together last time out in Columbia. But within 35 minutes, they had three goals from three different players uh, and just made me look bad. Uh, the attack looked back, and one clean goal by uh, George's player was the only blemish. The Seminoles will have their home opener this Thursday against Auburn at 6 p.m. at the Seminole Soccer Complex. And just a quick shout-out to FSU Volleyball, who will begin their season this weekend in Cincinnati. Uh, they take on Illinois State Friday at 4 p.m., Dayton on Saturday at noon, and Cincinnati on Sunday at 1 p.m. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William and Jackson, run it. And welcome back to Tomahawk Talk. William Jackson, Kylie Amanda, 850-644-1837. But now, without further ado, we welcome our guest. Joining us now on the show is Mr. Fred Siegel, but you most likely know him as the man behind the account Freezing Cold Takes, 600,000 Twitter followers plus another 200,000 on Instagram. Mr. Siegel, welcome to the show. 
Hi, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. We uh, are, are thrilled to have you. I'm sure most people listening are familiar uh, with your accounts, but for anyone who isn't, how would you best describe what you do? Well, uh, essentially, I just post the, the real, in simple, sim- the simplest terms, I just take old predictions and tweets and prior statements that turned out to be wrong, and I post them on the internet, on uh, Twitter. But mostly from about sports and from sports media, the majority from sports media or other people who have some sort of notoriety, not just like random fan one, two, three on the internet, because that would be too easy. <laughs> You're right. It would be too easy. <laughs> You've been doing this since 2015. What was it that, that drew you into doing this? Well, it was essentially, you know, I was using Twitter and just, I saw all the sports media folks would uh, post all their like correct predictions sometimes and pat themselves on the back, give themselves self-congratulatory messages. And um, I just figured I'd need a counter to that. There should be someone, I said to myself, who posts uh, the tweets and quotes from those same sports media folks that turned out to be completely wrong. I just, I guess, I just became that person. What is, uh, if you could pick one, but maybe if you have others, favorite takes you've exposed over the years? Uh, well, there's a lot. Um, I think, like from, we talking about the NFL. I, I always like that one where, in 2014, and Colin Cowherd wrote that Zach Prescott will be a backup in the NFL. Period. <laughs> at tight end. Period. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and we all know how that that turned out with uh, Tony Romo breaking the collarbone and everything else after that. And Mr. Siegel, just as a fan, I, I've been following you for a while. Love your account. Love what you produce. Uh, one of my favorites has to be when Skip Bayless said that Johnny Manziel was going to be more famous than LeBron James in Cleveland. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You said uh, LeBron James be more popular. Yeah, in Cleveland than. No, yeah, Manziel will be more popular even than his buddy LeBron will ever be. And, and, you know, Skip likes to antagonize LeBron all the time. So I think that was one of his things. Like, he could do, like, a double dip there. Talk about his pal, Johnny Manziel, who he really liked going into the draft. And at the same time, be critical of LeBron. Yeah, absolutely. In one tweet. Hey, Fred, it's Amanda jumping in. Thanks again for coming on. This is really cool. Um, no problem. I was so I've been, uh, I've been picking at your book here, and you know there's 14 chapters, all each a different take. So what was the process? Because you just mentioned how many there are. Like, what was the process of picking which ones you wanted to include? Well, I wanted something that was, though know, it wasn't just like um, each chapter wasn't. It wasn't just like this player is going to be. A, pretty good and he turned out to be great or this team is going to win the super bowl this team is going to lose the super bowl and they lost like it's got to be something way bigger than that and i also wanted to use stuff about like interesting players in the past from the past sometimes even pre-internet sometimes pre-social media and then uh some things that people would be interested in and play uh, great historical players i have something in from like the Cowboys from eighty nine to ninety two, uh, with like Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman and Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson and all those guys. And then there's 
a chapter on uh, 49ers with Steve Young and and Joe Montana rivalry and you know Patriots with when Bill Belichick was hired as the head coach and you know, all those things are historically very important people in football history and I wanted to include them I, I mean I could have done a lot more if I had more words to use but I wasn't allowed to use past a certain amount of words so I had to choose wisely yeah, and I'm sure. uh, be very selective um, some most of it is, isn't an extension of my feet it's really a chapter on a specific team or time period in team's history where like a specific sentiment was was thought of by the media and 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 you know how that would turned out to be the wrong sentiment and uh, except there's one chapter just on draft picks from my uh, like from commentary before and during the draft about certain players uh, when they were drafted dating back to like the 70s I have one about Walter Payton and some like about Emmett Smith and uh, Bruce Smith and Dan Marino like and then some about Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes so it's that range of uh, of date of players but uh, for the most part, it was it was really kind of what I think players people would know and great, fantastic, bad takes in history. Perhaps uh, this book could be used as a textbook uh, in a, like a sports management class when you put it that way. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of lessons you can you can more than just like don't trust what you hear, but more in a sense of even if. Like you could you could talk to journalists about it. Say just say how you feel, and if you're wrong, it's not the worst thing in the world because you know the careers didn't end of any of these journalists who got these wrong, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could talk about how to players if they're going to say certain things about you as a player and say you're not going to be good, don't listen to them. Like all stuff like that. It's just in the discourse of of and you could you could use it as a study of how. You know, things have changed a lot in media and the way TV personalities or written uh, print personalities, uh, bloggers, online people that project themselves in a different way now, like most for the most part, but it's still kind of the same thing. Yeah. The same things and uh, the ones who, the ones who are go out of their way to get attention um, and do it in a way that they know connect with people are usually doing real well in terms of success when it comes to people listening to them or reading them. Uh, so it's not always who's right. Yeah, I was just going to, I mean, I've been reading the book, obviously, and just the amount of information that goes into one chapter is so, like, interesting to me. And, like, you have so many quotes and sound bites and just so much history behind just one tweet and I, it's very impressive but you know going through this researching process did you know a majority of this information or was do you did you find things you didn't know or didn't know as much of or was it new to you all a lot of it was new to me i i, I knew i was going to do something a chapter about this specific thing but then when I researched it, like a specific sentiment or specific take, like my first chapter was on like Patriots will regret hiring Bill Belichick. I knew I was going to be able to find a lot of those from the newspaper columns that I could get. And, um, but I just didn't know like exactly the story behind it. I think that was a lot of the purpose behind the, the, the book. Like one of my reasons why I wanted to write it because like there's a lot of stuff that happened 
when you just post a headline on Twitter or a screenshot or a headline or 280 characters worth of stuff, you don't really know those stories. And a lot of, you learn a lot of cool things. And that's what I started to learn. And even within those, I'd find more like bad takes about like a topic that was tangential to the overlying topic, but not uh, directly related that I added to the stories. Like in, uh, the, the Cowboys chapter, I, I, I went in off on a lot of different side things. And, um, like, especially I, there, there was a trade, and most people who know football have heard about it, but uh, it happened a long time ago, so I'm not sure everybody does. But when the Cowboys won three Super Bowls in the 90s, before they won it, they traded Herschel Walker, who's in the news a lot now as a politician, but he used to be the best running back in the NFL. And, and he was playing for the Cowboys, and Jimmy Johnson – traded him to the Vikings in 1989 for, like, 10 draft picks. And Johnson ended up turning all those draft picks into a uh, dynasty. And um, at the time, that draft pick, those draft picks, that, that trade was looked, on, looked upon as weird because the Cowboys were so bad and they were trading their best player, but nobody understood the concept of tanking back then. It wasn't as prevalent. And um, when Herschel Walker, what I didn't know was when Herschel Walker went to the Vikings and he played his first game, he, he ran for 150 yards, two touchdowns, and like the Vikings thought they had the guy who was going to lead them to the Super Bowl. And there were all these different um, articles and comment, commentary about how great trade ended up being for them and how they, they, they could have... Uh, they, they should have traded. Had, Cowboys should have offered, asked for more because it was like. <laughs> but he ended up flaming out completely after like two weeks for the Vikings, and didn't do anything for the rest of his time there. But that was another thing that I just didn't realize, and I went started looking and it's things like that that you find out when you're doing the article or the, the chapter. That is, that is a great piece. One of the most infamous trades probably in the history of sports. Reminds, yeah. reminds me kind of like the uh, when the Saints traded their entire draft for Ricky Williams, and that didn't uh, uh, work right. out. Work out. They so traded well. all their. That was that was even worse um, in terms of in terms of like the concept of the trade because because uh, they traded their entire draft. They traded all the picks they had, and then for Ricky Williams. But it turned out that the Redskins who were the ones who traded their draft, uh, who received all the Saints draft picks, didn't really do much with the picks, unlike Dallas. Jimmy Johnson ended up, what he would, did was get more and more and more picks. He would trade the picks he had for more picks and more picks. He ended up having like 20 picks in one draft. Well, you, you know what I find most interesting about your work is, is not necessarily the fact that, uh, you know, you call out people for, for how, having these bad takes, but it's to remind the journalists or the players or whoever had that bad take that they had that bad take, but no one's calling on them to uh, not necessarily apologize, but, you know, say they were wrong. No one, no one really holds journalists. And it's not like, you know, I don't think you have an ill will towards any of these reporters that have these horrible takes. Uh, but, you know, like you were saying with the Viking story, it, it, it appears as though, you know, the entire media was, was saying uh, – how the, the Cowboys should ask or should ask for more, and so um, is is that on the right track? Yeah, well, I think it's getting different now with social media. I'm not the only, 
at that time when I created this, I didn't think there were that many people who understood what uh, the Twitter search function. The Twitter search function wasn't really, it didn't really know how it worked. Like you, getting old posts wasn't really a big thing back then. But I think now it's much bigger and people understand when they're saying something, it's going to go. And, uh, and, and, but I, I think, I think now, uh, and people are going to use it against them. But, uh, I think what I, what, 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 when it comes to journalists getting their post, uh, hearing, they, they, um, we're holding them accountable, right? But they don't really, in terms of career accountability, they don't, there's no accountability there, but there really shouldn't be, right? Because who cares? They got something wrong, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it, and, and most of the time, it's about opinions. It's not about like a journalist doing a report, and the report was wrong. Because that's where you suffer real accountability in your career. But in terms of doing predictions that are wrong, you don't. But they get upset, unlike, and they, but the people who they criticize, um, like the general managers or the draft people. Or the people, they, it, those people are the ones who get held accountable for making a bad draft pick. So, something that, that they're they're going to get they're going to get fired. Um, they're going to get fired from their jobs if they don't continue to put out a good team. So it's like uh, there really shouldn't. There's really not. It's not the same type of accountability. It's more of just like a ego thing. I think you're right. Something that that you've brought attention to and a couple of other accounts have, have brought attention to is people like Colin Cowherd and Skip Bayless and they go on the air every day and, and they yell and they pound the table with all these absurd takes. And I think what people are starting to realize is, is that not everything that comes out of these people's mouths are true, that at the end of the day, when you're talking, when you're talking hours of sports every day, it's not as much informational it's just entertainment they're just saying whatever gets people interested to watch their show or or likewise but when you look back on it i mean they're wrong it seems like on the majority of the stuff they put out right and a lot of stuff you have to have an opinion on things that you don't really even think to have an opinion on because you have to talk about the things every single day that are important within that period that day and frankly i don't have it myself i don't have an opinion on every single Popular, every single like thing in the news about sports to, to today, but they they have to have one. And when they're making that opinion, they're thinking about, they're balancing, they're weighing um, the, their their genuine feel for it, what their genuine opinion is, with what sounds very entertaining and what will make people want to listen to them. And it always the second one's always going to it's always going to balance into being more entertaining. So a lot of the times you're hearing like an opinion that's like on the same level as an analogy of like, take this analogy, like it's on the same level as like taking a, a movie and making it based on a true story. Like their opinion is somewhere in there, but they're talking about it in a way that's projecting and, and a lot more uh, uh, provocative than what they really think. One of the last things I want to ask you, and I, I can't believe we haven't touched it on touched on it already. You have some skin in the game in this uh, Florida State Florida rivalry. You were a, a UF grad. Is there any or been lately or been some big ones over the years? Uh, some freezing cold takes in that realm. Yeah, maybe either side yeah. that have gotten a lot of traction. Unfortunately, no, because I mean, <laughs> because we both suck. I mean, like, here's the thing: like, it, when when the games aren't. There's not really much there. Like nobody talks about UF and FSU that much anymore because we're not that good. 
And if, it, if, we, if it, and it's not like there's a lot of bold predictions. Like, what's the bold predictions? You have not going to dominate this year? Maybe. I mean, like that could be someone's prediction, and then FSU wins. But even so, if I post that on my my feed, like it's like who, nobody cares about these teams right now. Um, unfortunately, it's been that way for a while, at least like the past three four years, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, throughout history, there's definitely been a lot of stuff that could be used um, on my feed. Uh, you know, like I, I could go back to, well, the great one was the FSU game. And, and on my feed, on my feed, um, in Twitter, you, one of the fun things is doing it during a game. Absolutely. Like, 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 like during a game, people will make these conclusions about what's happening. And then, um, then the game will flip on its heels. A big example would be like the Super Bowl where the, the, the Falcons were up. 28-3 on the Patriots at halftime, and then they lost. Well, um, in the in the national championship game in 2014, was the Auburn game was 21-3, I think at halftime, or no, it wasn't 21-3 at halftime. It was 21-3 near halftime. And at that point, it was one of the big talking point was SEC. You know, like the the, the FSU is not prepared for this game because they played in the ACC and they didn't have a hard schedule and they weren't used to it. And they were getting killed. And it was the assumption that they would remain getting killed for the rest of the game. Um, I think it was Dan Wolken. He's at USA Today. He wrote, strength of schedule matters. <laughs> that was it. He gets, still gets clobbered for it all the time. But, there, uh, but that was that game for FSU. And then they came back and won the game. And it was like, that, was, that game was a big one for that type of thing. Um, I think in the FSU-UF rivalry, there was a point in time uh, – you know, Jimbo Fisher built the team uh, from recruiting, and it took it still took a little bit to get to 2013. I mean, he started in 2010 as the head coach, and the first three years were a little rocky. I don't he, he lost a lot of bad games, and um, by the end of 2012 in Florida, in Tallahassee, Florida won kind of really dominated that game and at that point it was like there, the question was was Jimbo Fisher ever going to do anything good for FSU and then like it was like UF had surpassed him with Will Muschamp as the coach <laughs> but off the field he was killing Muschamp in recruiting the whole time and um, I think uh, but Muschamp came in with a much better roster because he was taking over for Urban Meyer who had a great roster on our team like it's not that much depth, and um, the FSU roster wasn't as good when Jimbo took over. So, and then the next year it completely flipped. I mean, I, UF won three games in 2013. So, um, and FSU won the title. So that's another one that I could think of right there. Yeah, that was um, the uh, the Georgia Southern and the the blocking each right, other the game. Southern, they didn't throw the ball one time and beat us. <laughs> we had we had a quarterback. I don't even remember the quarterback. The funny thing was, is the quarterback was we had this guy Skyler Morning, like he couldn't throw. He was a, he's a he couldn't throw the ball like he was terrible. They, he was probably the worst quarterback in the country, and because he, we were on our third string quarterback, and he was. But the the problem was there is that there was they used that scholarship as a favor to his dad, who was Marty Morningweg, and they and they didn't offer because of it. Paxton Lynch, who ended up being a great quarterback, and he was right from like the land, Deltona, Florida, which is like an hour and a half from Gainesville. And um, 
So it was just another thing that they, that same staff were just completely terrible on offense. Uh, so it, it was just another bonehead move. We were stuck with this guy who couldn't throw, and we lost to Georgia Southern, who ran the ball the entire game. They didn't throw one pass. But, yeah, so but then you guys had your moment with the Jackson State, the Jacksonville State. So What game was that? Celebrate that. What? We don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that game has been We were waiting for that for so long. Yeah, y'all, y'all, uh, y'all do have one against us now on that one. That's for sure. No, well, I think we're even, right? That, um, that's what I'm saying. Y'all, y'all got one back. You know, Georgia Southern is like in the football championship conference or whatever. The one, the, the Division One AA it used to be called. They're, 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 they're a pretty quality team in that division. Yeah, and JSU, Jacksonville State is, I believe, they're usually in that in that 18 tournament there at the end. As well, yeah, they're I didn't up there. know like until after the game that it wasn't from like Jacksonville, Florida. In other words, I didn't know either. <laughs> they're from Alabama. I don't think anybody knew. I I knew because I'm I'm from Je- uh, Fred. This is Kylie Ren here, but uh, yeah, I take I take great offense when people associate my Jacksonville self with the Jacksonville State. I had to I had to provide some clarity there, but uh, I got I got uh, two quick questions for you uh, here, Mr. Siegel. Uh, the first one being, um, can, can you, okay. The first one being, am I then allowed to call you out for a freezing cold take when we go to the national championship this year? Ooh. When yeah, you oh, said yeah, that we both definitely. suck. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, like, I'll, I'll have, I'll have many, uh, I'll have many. You know, I'm not predicting that they're not going to go to the na- oh, Yeah, I'll predict right now. <laughs> so if, even if Florida goes to the national championship, that, we could still say it's a physical take. haven't been good. I mean, that's just like a fact. I'm not talking about this year. I don't really know much about FSU this year. <laughs> but um, I can tell you that, yeah, yeah, it's happened to me a lot. I was very sure. I grew up in Miami. I know. I mean, I grew up with people who love the University of Miami, and I follow them pretty closely. I was so sure that Mario Cristobal would never go back. And I, I was pretty defiant about it. I wrote a lot about it on, you know, written replies to people on Twitter. And then, you know, that's the type of thing that people would post after he did become Miami's head coach. They post, they post that about me, all those, all those posts. So I, I knew, I knew that was going to happen. So I, I posted it first, but you still get people <laughs> who are sending it to me. So, so all the time. F- so that type of thing happens a lot. It certainly happens during games a lot. Gotcha. Yeah, so, so you could do that. Sure, I won't be. I'll be in. I'll be in a lot of company. <laughs> gotcha. So, so Mr. Fred, um, are are you aware of the whole the freezing cold freezing cold takes account? Do you know who's behind yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I know those guys. They, they, it, it, it's hard for them. I mean, like it doesn't happen every day where yeah. I get something wrong, and they, they they try pretty hard to try to hit me with. Uh, but that but that account's a good example of why of all the stuff I do that. Like premature or just things I get completely wrong, um, they have it all covered. It's on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This uh, there was a guy like that on Twitter, but I, I think he stopped. But uh, but I yeah, they people like to throw stuff back to me about everything. If, if anything happens, if I like put a misplace a period or don't use an apostrophe. <laughs> <or something. laughs> 
I wish we could keep going with this because you, you've got so many great stories, but we're running out of time a little bit. Uh, this has been uh, Mr. Fred Siegel of Freezing Cold Takes talking about his book, Freezing Cold Takes NFL, Football Media's Most Inaccurate Predictions and the Fascinating Stories Behind Them. Uh, based on what I've what I've heard tonight, I'm, I'm certainly sold. So thank you so much for the time, and uh, thank you so much for being a part of the program. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. And there he goes. As I said, Mr. Fred Siegel of Freezing Cold Takes. That was that was a heck of an interview. I mean, so many stories about so many different things. A lot about uh, with the football, but he, you know, the NBA has all kinds of bad takes of their own. But tonight was about the football. But uh, I really liked his perspective on um, kind of calling people out because I, I think that's been going on too long, where people can go unchecked <laughs> with their bad takes. And uh, it sounded like his book. It you know, it's not just about the takes of today, but it was the, the takes of yesteryear, which I think a lot of people will latch on to, like that Herschel Walker trade. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was just a monumental moment in the history of sports, like you said. I mean, like he said, tanking wasn't really a thing. I didn't know Started that. the whole thing off, I guess. We I have guess so. We have uh, Herschel Walker, U.S. Senator 238 or whatever. He's going to be to blame for uh, the, the tanking situation we're in now um, in the NFL. I feel like now, as like his account has been gaining popularity, it's more of an honor. Like, if he posts one of your bad takes, it's like, it's like, wow, he kept the receipts. Like he's, he's remembering. It's like, it's so funny. I'll be like scrolling on Twitter and I see something and I go in the comments and it's just everyone tagging him. <laughs> like he doesn't even have to find them anymore. People just send them to him. And it's too, it's so funny when I see comments just flooding, like tagging him for and, it. I and just, he'll respond with the emoji of him writing in a notebook. Yeah. You know? So he's like, I'm, I'm keeping it, I'm keeping it he marked keeps up. His receipts. But yeah, like yeah. you said, it, it's kind of like Weird Al Yankovic, uh, covering one of like somebody's songs like you know it's like a big deal you're a big deal if somebody's covering your songs yeah probably my favorite because i did want to get like some florida state specific stuff from him i did i wasn't aware of this but i absolutely love that story that in 2012 when when uf beat us i think the game was was here and will Muschamp over jimbo fisher <laughs> and will Muschamp got fired like two years <laughs> later and uh jim jimbo fisher went on to win a national championship hey. and Strength the schedule matters, man. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that name in a while. I know where where is he? Is he like a analyst at Alabama or something? It's, Probably. It seems like those all those SEC failed coaches get flushed up and and turned up on. And uh, then they go back to the NFL. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I think Matt Rule is is in uh, the latter part of that cycle, as we stand right now. Uh, but uh, we are a little bit up against it now that school is back in session. Everything I, I do believe new releases next. I'm sure they'll be banging down. Uh, the door pretty soon but a great show in the books we had some nfl stuff planned but uh we didn't get to it i think next week we'll talk about that because the the implications of the deshaun watson situation and whatnot as his suspension comes down uh make sure to listen to that next week also recapping the duquesne game football will be underway so we hope to have you there uh maybe taking your calls and some of that so i have been william haynes my co-host jackson bakich uh kylie brennan and amanda golson we were joined uh as a guest by by freezing cold takes mr fred siegel so thank you so much again to him it was a great program and uh, make sure as well to follow us at v89 sports you are listening to wvfs tallahassee the voice of florida state